surprise. I'm back. I'm not your chapel speaker this morning, but Jerron Scott is. So Jerron, could you come on up here? So Jerron is one of us. He is an Ozark alum, but he is passionate about teaching the word, preaching the word in the spirit of Christ. Uh, you're from Christ Church of Joplin, correct? I am. Sweet. I am. Okay, and he's got one loving wife, Chelsea. This is true. This is true. This is the way. But yeah, so let me pray for you, Jerron, and then we'll get on with this sermon. Dope. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Jerron and just how he's willing to come up here and preach to us. And um, I pray that we would be willing to listen, that you would open our hearts to hear what he has to say. And I also pray that you would just use him, um, give him wisdom as he is preaching and as he is teaching, Lord. Um, give him confidence and give us the ears to listen. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What's up? Uh, so here's the thing. This is, I think, the first year where I don't know about 95% of y'all since I've graduated. So um, quick introduction. Uh, my name is Jerron, like Noah said. I um, pastor a church here in town. And here's the thing about me. I come from a place where um, y'all talk back to me while I preach. And so I know there have got to be at least 10 of y'all in here that come from a place like that. So I'm not gonna ask everyone to do that, but those of you who have that inclination, please feel so comfortable as to do that. And here's how serious I am about that. I um, RA'd on Willie Second a few years ago, and um, shout out my boys, still sitting in the same spot. Um, <laughs> um, here's how serious I am. I had a boy on my floor um, who we made a deal that he could come to Dorm Devo's 10 minutes late with Taco Bell if he promised to talk back to me when he got there. And we had this deal going on for two years, so that's how serious I am about that. I'm gonna need y'all to talk back to me. Sound good? Dope, dope. Um, Deuteronomy chapter five. Deuteronomy chapter five. We'll be in verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy five, chapter 19 and 20. Before um, I read this, I'm gonna pray really quick. Father. Thank you for gathering us to yourself. Thank you for calling us to yourself in general. Thank you for life with you. Thank you for moments like this where we can gather around your word, where, you, where we can worship you, where you're here present, Spirit, right now. Open our minds, open our hearts. We need to hear you. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 19, or verses 19 and 20, it says... And you shall not steal, period. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, period. And you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. For, for the sake of our time together, I want to give you a framework for how to look at what we just read. So Moses in Deuteronomy, I'm sure most of you know this, what he's doing is he's um, playing back the mental tapes of Israel's marriage ceremony with God. He's, he's playing back the time where in the book of Exodus, God has Israel at Sinai and they're going through this marriage ceremony. This is after God had decided that he wanted the Hebrew people to be his bride. This is after he had walked into Egypt, beat down on their abusive lover of 400 years, walked them out of Egypt, walked them through um, the desert. He sat, got down on one knee on the top of the mountain and he said, you saw how I treated you back then. That's how much I care for you. You be mine, I'll be yours. 
They said, I do. And by way of these 10 commandments, um, God and the people of Israel, they're committing to, to love commitments. They're committing to vows. And the special thing about these vows that Israel is committing to is that God wrote them himself for her. He's saying, this is how you can love me. And with every commandment, they say, I do, I do, I do, I do, I will. So what I want to do is I want to lift up these two commandments that we just read as pictures of what loving God could look like. That's actually going to be our topic or our title for today, what love could look like. Sound good? So the first thing I noticed when I was reading this is, is that these pictures of love were less about what is happening and more about what's not happening. You see what he said, you see what he said. He said, how do you wanna love me? How can you love me? Do not steal. How can you love me? Do not bear false witness. The, the thread that ran between those was a big fat not. Love is sometimes about not. Love sometimes looks like being anti-certain things. Love sometimes looks like prohibition. Love sometimes looks like removal. So, so um, guys, guys, let me help you out here. I'm about to give you a lifetime full of wisdom just for coming to chapel here. Um, so my wife and I, Chelsea, we've been married for two years, one month, one week, and about four days. So we're basically pros. Um, <laughs> Actually, we're giving Randy and Julie marriage counseling right now because we like to <laughs> mentor the young ones, you know? So I remember when we were first getting married, I thought I had a full picture of what love looked like. I was batting 100 because I knew what love looked like. So, so I'm buying my wife flowers like once a month because I knew what love looked like. I'm taking her out to fancy dinners like once a month because I knew what love looked like. I'm buying her things like once a month because I knew what love looked like. I was knocking that bad boy out of the park because I knew what love looked like. But then one day, my wife was at work late and I'm at home bored, so I thought, ain't nothing else to do. I might as well wash the dishes. So I'm washing the dishes. And in the middle of me washing the dishes, she walks into the house and she faints just as much as she faints when I buy her flowers. And then she proceeds to tell me, shout out girl. <laughs> Whoever her guy is, take notes. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> so she proceeds to tell me that one of the best ways that I show her I love her is when I clean the house, when I take out the trash, when I do, dirty, when I do the dirty dishes, when I take out the dirty, when I wash the dirty laundry. And I'm like, girl, I'm trying to give you this Ryan Gosling and you talking about doing dishes? <laughs> I learned that the other part of the picture in terms of love looks like cleaning the house. Boys, take notes. The other part of the picture of what love looks like, looks like cleaning the house. This is a good word for grooms, but this is also a great word for the bride of Christ. 
What God says through these commandments is, yes, love looks like doing some things, but the other part of the picture looks like cleaning the house. There are some dirty things that are taking up space in your conversation, and love looks like cleaning house. There are some dirty things that are occupying your relationships, and love looks like cleaning house. There are dirty things occupying the culture of this campus. This word was given to a community on this campus, within your dorm, within in your teams, within your groups, there are some dirty things that are occupying space and collectively God says, loving me looks like cleaning house. Love looks like cleaning house. I like God because this passage shows me that he's, he's a particular kind of husband. He's the kind that'll not leave you to dry to figure it out yourself, but he'll point at something and he'll say, that's what I want you to clean. That's what I want you to clean. He gives us two things in these two verses of what he's pointing at for us to clean. We're about to talk that talk. The first thing he points at is manipulation. Verse 19, God says, how do you love me? You shall not steal. Stealing is, is taking illegitimate control of something. So some of y'all are old enough that you watch VeggieTales and you remember the episode when King George took Thomas's ducky? King George took illegitimate control because that was Thomas's ducky. But I read a guy um, a few weeks ago, he helped me out and he said, this, this specific law and the law, while yes, it's talking about not taking illegitimate control of people's stuff, it's more so lean towards not taking illegitimate control of people. For example, in Exodus chapter 21, I believe, uh, God says, if you're going to steal someone's property, you got to give that back and then some. But then in the very next chapter, he says, if you get caught stealing a person, you got to give your life for that. The, the weight, the more weight, the, the severity is given to stealing people. So, so yes, God says, King George, don't steal Thomas's ducky, but even more so, you bet not take Thomas. Yes, God's saying, don't take people's property, but more so, he's saying, you bet not treat them as your property. For your own benefit. We've seen people steal people for their own benefit way back then. We saw it happen in the, transatlantic, in the transatlantic slave trade when people from Europe sailed across the ocean, landed in Africa, took some people, took them back to the Americas so they can get a few dollars out of that. We've seen, we've seen slave owners show up to these stocks and, and, and take some more people and put them in their plantations so that they can get a few dollars out of that. We've seen people way back when chain people up, steal them place them where they want to place them, control them so they can get something out of that. But I see it in me. I see it in you. I see it in us. We won't put someone in metal chains, but we'll chain them up with our words that fast. We'll, we'll, we'll try to control them and to push them and get them to go where we want to go and to be in the relationships and the positions and in the pathways we want them to be. Why? Because it's good for us. Well, we suddenly steal people for our own benefit by manipulating them. 
when some of you are trying to force somebody to be in a relationship with you? When we use our emotions as a, as, as a way to get someone to do what we want them to do just because we're mad? Here's this one, we're good at this one because we're all at Bible college. When we say, God told me blank about you. That's that draw four card Nuno that we like to use. Stealing. And the difference, hear me, the difference between stealing and controlling someone and trying to be a good friend for them, that thin line is integrity and motivation. Why are you doing what you're trying to do? Why are you trying to get them where you're trying to get them? Is it for you or is it for them? Are you playing fair? Or are you using emotional mood swings? Are you playing fair or are you telling half-truths? Are you playing fair or are you manipulating? It's stealing. And here's why it's illegitimate control. Because when King George took Thomas's ducky, that was Thomas's ducky to control. When we manipulate people, that's God's person to control. When, when we're manipulating, we're walking right up to the throne of God, putting our hands on his property and walking them and taking them where we want them to go. And God says, if you want to love me, we've got to start by cleaning house and getting rid of the manipulation. Someone asked me how. Great question. Cleaning looks like replacing. You can't just stop something for the sake of stopping something. You gotta stop something by starting something. This is, how, this is what scientists will tell us. If you wanna stop smoking, you start chewing gum. You gotta start something to stop something. So here's what we gotta do. We gotta, we gotta stop manipulating by starting to seek their best interest. As defined by God. Not what we think God wants. Not what we assume what God wants, but what God has already said he wants from them. What's he said in scripture? Who's he said he's wanted them to be? Where has he said he's wanted them to go? How has he said how he wanted them to live? What has he said he's already intended for that person? Whatever the answer is to that question, then that should inform how we live our lives and how we treat them and how we interact with them. What's God say? You do that, you'll be good. I can't promise you'll get the girl if you do that. I can't promise if they'll be your best friend if you'll do that, but I can promise that you'll be a good friend. I can promise that you'll be someone who's, who's trusted with a boyfriend if you start living that way. Because what happens is as your hands and your feet start to align with God's will for them, your heart will start to become like God's heart for them. Then you'll be the kind of person who someone can be in a relationship with. The first thing God says is he says, clean house of manipulation by seeking their best interest. And the second thing is clean house of character assassination. You hear what he said? How can you love me? 
don't bear false witness. He's talking about the courtroom there. So, so here's what false witness is. This is, so say Ruth was walking, was seen walking in front of Thomas's house the day Thomas's ducky went missing. So now Ruth is sitting in court on trial for the, um, for the theft of Thomas's ducky. Samson over here, who don't like Ruth, Ruth, and who Ruth probably irritated a few days ago, Samson walks into court, and even though he knows Ruth didn't do it, he steps into court and he says, I not only saw Ruth walking in front of Thomas's house, I saw her take Thomas's ducky, I saw her, I saw her pop another two of the duckies, and she told me that she's coming for Thomas next because she just likes to do it. He, 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 he misrepresented her character out of ill intent. This, this is a courtroom term. But I think when God said, don't bear false witness, he wasn't just taught, thinking about them. I think he was thinking about us in 2020. Because yes, back then they could bear false witness in the public court, but here's what we like to do. This is what our world likes to do. We'll take someone to the court of public opinion. and bear false witness and assassinate their character. You ever seen a toddler paint a terrible picture of somebody? Yourself even maybe? Uh, in April when my church, when we went online, after a family watched our service, they sent me a picture of, um, they sent me a picture of a painting their toddler uh, painted of me. When I say that thing was ugly, <laughs> like, no, like bad. Was it me? I had one full leg, my right leg was a peg. <laughs> I had on a denim, denim pants and a denim vest. Somehow this child was able to, to convey a receding hairline with paint. I had this weird goatee. I was like, you really think I look like Mr. Miyagi's black cousin, don't you? That thing was so inaccurate. For one, it's inaccurate because he exaggerated things like the size of my head. Another reason it's, ina it's inaccurate is because he minimized things like the size of my triceps. <laughs> exaggerated, minimized, there's some stuff he just left out, like my hairline. There's some stuff he added, like a peg. Absolutely inaccurate. Then by the time someone actually gets done looking at this toddler's picture, you got to think, did you make this thing so ugly on purpose? It's kind of cute when toddlers do that, huh? It's cute when toddlers paint terrible pictures of people on accident with, with paint. It ain't cute when Christians do it with their words. The thing about a toddler is we know for the most part we think they did it on accident. Every time we do it, it's on purpose. How do I know? How do I know? This is the world we live in. This is what we're being formed to do. You watch this on the news. Get on Twitter. This is what CNN will do when they stretch stuff to make the Republicans look bad. This is what Fox will do to stretch stuff to make the Democrats look bad. This is what your aunt does when she shares that meme that she swears is legitimate news that makes someone else look bad. This is what the world we live in does. We exaggerate. We minimize. We leave in. We add out just to misrepresent somebody. It's the world you live in, so it's the world you're taught to, it's what you're taught to do. 
Oh, we'll walk into the dorms and do it real quick. An exaggerated story. We'll walk off campus and do it real quick and get in front of other people and, and tell a story that's twisted about this other person. Why? So other people can see them in the same negative light that you do. Because you want them to feel as mad about her as you do. Because I want them to think he's as ridiculous as I think he is. And here it is, we're not gonna like this one, we're not gonna like this. That character assassination, it's contributing to injustice. How's it contributing to injustice? When Samson goes and bears false witness about um, Ruth, the court punishes Ruth for a crime she didn't commit. That's injustice. And we, when we assassinate someone's character, falsely misrepresent them in front of our friends, and they buy into that picture, they start treating that person in a way they don't deserve. That's injustice. Even more so, when Samson walks into that court and character assassinates Ruth, he's, he's leading the whole court. Everyone who thinks they're carrying out justice, he's leading them to commit a crime against Ruth because now they're giving damage to her that she didn't deserve. That's injustice. And you'll cause our calls, we will cause a whole dorm, a whole friend group, other people to sin against other Christians. Because we're mad at that person? That's injustice. God says, you want to you love me? We got to clean house. We got to clean house of that thing. How do we clean house of that thing? Tell the true story. What happened? They said this. What happened? They did that. What happened? This is how it made me feel. That's what I know. That's how I'm going to tell it. I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm not going to minimize. I'm not going to add. I'm not going to subtract. This is the true story. But here's where we'll get in trouble. Because nine times out of ten, we don't know their intentions. And we'll color in those blanks. Normally, and most often in a negative light. We'll tell the worst story. They said that because they wanted to hurt me. That professor walked by me because they don't like me. They said that they ought to be, they gotta be. Gotta be racist. Gotta be. But here's the thing, you don't know their intentions. And it's only doing bad to try to fill in those blanks with the worst story. So if you will try to in, in, in assume intentions, if you will try to color in the blanks, at least be generous and tell them the best story. They said this, I'm going to assume they weren't thinking to hurt me. I'm going to assume it was an accident. They did this, I'm going to assume they were busy. I'm going to ascribe the best intentions to them because that's what we people of God do. We're generous in our judgments. That'll protect that, that individual. That'll protect the community. You're about justice? Tell the true story. 
You want to be a good friend? Tell the true story. You want to contribute to this campus? Tell the true story. You want to be on mission and, and aligned with God? Tell the true story. God says, how do you love me? We got a clean house. What do I clean, God? Well, well, I'm pointing at manipulation. We got to stop stealing people. I'm pointing at character assassination. We got to stop doing that to people. But it ain't that easy, is it? Because I'm not telling you anything new. So then I spent a few weeks just trying to figure out why, why is it not easy? Why is it hard to, to clean house of these two things? What is it that makes these things so difficult? And here's the conclusion I came to, at least in my own life, and hopefully it, it works for all of us. It's so hard for me to clean house, so hard for me to not assassinate characters and not to manipulate, because honestly, I got real bad trust issues. Cleaning house, it takes trust. I don't, I don't know, walk with me, walk with me. At its core, cleaning house is about control. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to control someone's life as, as an attempt to ensure good comes to me. I'm trying to control how, how someone is, in, is treated to, to ensure that, that they will get paid back for how they made me feel. I'm trying to control the goodness that comes to me. I'm trying to control how justice is carried out around me. I'm trying to control it. It takes trust to let, go, to let go of control of those two things and to step into this lifestyle of cleaning house. Um, how many of y'all were born before 2000? Okay, okay. So, so y'all remember watching the real Aladdin when y'all were younger? Like the cartoon one? Yeah, yeah, y'all remember watching the real one. So you remember that scene at the end at, um, when the movie starts to get real romantic where that boy Aladdin, he's smooth by the way, where that boy Aladdin rides in on this, this real nice flying carpet and, and Jasmine's all smitten and she's like, <laughs> what is this? And Aladdin's like, you trying to go for a ride girl? And she's like, is it safe? And then he looks at her and he's like, do you trust me? think when we start to think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of manipulating to try to get good, and I'm going to let go of, of assassinating characters and, and let God handle it, we, 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 we ask in our heart of hearts, is it safe? If I stop trying to position someone else in a way that benefits me, will good come to me? Is it safe? If I stop trying to get others to join in in my ill will towards this person, will they be paid back for the wrong they've done? Will those wrongs be made right on? Is it safe? And God's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me to do good? Do, do you trust me to take care of that between you two? Do you trust me? I took off from work this morning to come all the way here to tell you he is an absolutely undeniably trustworthy father. 
How do I know he's trustworthy? He showed it on the cross. On the cross, God provided an atonement for our sins on the cross of Christ. And in the words of Paul, Paul says, if he didn't withhold his own son, won't he give us all things with him? The cross is the proof that God will provide good for his people. That means you. On the cross, God put the weight of sin on his son, Jesus, and he punished it in Jesus. If God took care of sins on the cross, don't you think he cares about the wrong done and he'll work it out? Oh, he's such a trustworthy God. And he displays it. Jesus came and died on Good Friday, rose on Easter for God, and in a way for God to say, you can trust me. He, he says it differently somewhere else. In Exodus, he says, he says I'm, I'm abounding, I'm, I'm overflowing, I'm excessive with faithfulness. Can, can I trust you, God, to do good to me when I stop trying to manipulate it to, get, to um, make good for myself? He's overflowing with faithfulness. He's saying, yes. Can I trust you, God, to, to make right on that wrong? He's overflowing with faithfulness. He says, yes. Can I clean house of manipulation? He's overflowing with faithfulness. He says, yes. He's faithful in all things. He's faithful in all things. He's absolutely faithful in all things. So you can let go and start cleaning house. So God gets on top of this mountain, kind of like this hill we're sitting on today. And he says, how do, how, how, how do you love me? How can you love me? He says, there's some things we got to clean house of. Let's, 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 let's take that, the garbage of manipulation. Let's take that out. Let's, 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 let's wash the character assassination away. Let's clean that out. And it's so worth it because he's so trustworthy. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you. Thank you for life with you. Thank you that we're your people and you're our God. Thank you. There's nothing better than that. Thank you that you've, 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 you've filled us with your spirit. You've made us new. In this life with the, with the spirit, we, we fulfill the righteousness requirement of the law. You, you lead us into this life of love. Thank you for it. Thank you for pointing out ways to love you, to help us. We love you. Amen.